I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball. And of course, the defending World Series champion, Chicago Cubs. Hey, everybody. This is Anno Cattulli. Uh We've had a couple of interesting days in the world of Cubs baseball. And here with me is my guy, Ken. Uh, how's it going, then? It's going. Things have been pretty interesting. Cubs have had some success and some failures, but that is kind of secondary nowadays. Yeah, the past few. Indeed. Uh, I guess we can establish a little bit of a plan uh, later on. Andy, or behind the Ivy, is going to join us. We'll talk about the draft, the Cubs roster situations, and also a little bit about pace of play. And then we'll come right back. Ben and I are going to talk about the proverbial elephant in the room. And it's kind of interesting that we use the word elephant because we got him from the uh, Oakland Athletics. So, yeah, the whole Addison Russell thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow is being kind. Yep. So how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Sounds good. Let's roll. All right. We'll be right back. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy color dreams, Toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. So welcome back to the Dreamcast. I have Andy with me. He goes by Behind the Ivy. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, uh, we still have that situation where we don't know whether the Cubs are good or not, really. But that's based on recency bias really uh we kind of sort of know that they are good they're very talented they're just not playing up to the potential right now and they are having some issues with health yeah kyle Hendricks came down with tendonitis in his right hand and from what i read it was in the knuckle in his middle finger on his pitching hand which you know it's problematic for grip and some other things I saw some questions on Twitter this afternoon about whether it's causing its drop in velocity. Probably not, but it may explain some of him not being able to get his curveball or his change up down as much as he'd like and causing him to give up a few more home runs lately. Yeah. So he is on the 10 day DL. They did uh, select a contract. Uh, Seth Frankoff, have you heard of this guy? I think I've heard of him passing, and it sounds like he's pitching decently in Iowa. He's got a ERA in the twos in Iowa. He was actually scheduled to start tonight. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, he was a eighth-round draft pick of the Oakland A's in 2010, but hasn't made a debut yet, so anything he does with the Cubs will be his major league debut. How about that? Well, uh, as you probably can guess, the Cubs can always use a few extra arms, and if this guy does pan out, like uh, it's it's kind of a testament to how well the, the Cubs front office can hunt down and find pitching. The other... Interesting roster move, uh, maybe not so interesting in that it's more procedural than anything, is the fact that Brett Anderson has now been transferred to the 60-day DL. Uh, yeah, not really a setback. He's already been on the DL for 31 or 32 days, so he'll still be eligible to return from the disabled list probably around the first week of July, right before the All-Star break. You know, really just clearing up a roster spot for Seth Frankoff on the 40-man, and it allows them to not have to, you know, designate anybody or outright anybody off the 40-man. Yeah, it's, it's kind of convenient that they could do it that way. I honestly thought they were going to uh, try to designate one of the fringe relievers for assignment. I didn't really expect them to uh, put Brett Anderson on the 60-day, but 
because at that point I was like, oh man, he probably hurt himself. And then I realized, hey, he's already been, just like you said, on the DL for a month, so they could just backdate it, and he's basically got another four weeks of rehab before they have to figure out what to do. And even then, they don't have to take him off the 60-day DL. Yeah, I mean, the DL stint starts the day you're placed on it, and it's not like the 60-day clock starts over today. So, so really, it's just an opportunity to clear up a 40-man spot while allowing Anderson all the time he needs to, to get healthy and get strong again and get ready to probably make a few more starts with the Cubs this year. And the final little piece that we should probably talk about, and Ben and I will get into this a little bit later, Addison Russell is not with the team. Uh, we will again get into that later, but there is now an empty spot on the bench. Uh, you think they, at what whatever point they decide to do with, uh, or MLB decides to do with Addison Russell, they'll just bring Tommy LaStella back up? Yeah, I would think Tommy is the most likely case for Addison if he is removed from the roster for any length of time. At the moment, you know, it's procedural and he could be back anytime, maybe not this weekend against Colorado. I I would expect if you're going to go this full weekend and on the road with Addison Russell not being around the team that they'll put him on the inactive list and probably recall Tommy LaStella in the next couple of days. Barring Barring that, I would I would say if we don't get, get word of him getting placed on an inactive list, that he'll be back with the team relatively quickly. Because at this point, MLB isn't really investigating. They're just kind of trying to figure out what actually is, is going on after the Instagram storm last night. Yep. And once again, we'll get back into that later. So right now the Cubs roster situation, I guess it's fairly cut and dry. You got four starting pitchers minus uh, Kyle Hendricks. You got Mike Montgomery going uh, where Hendricks would have gone this weekend. Um, And I I guess we can talk about Mike Montgomery because uh, before he had to be set into that spot start, he was actually in a pretty interesting piggyback situation with Eddie Butler. What do you think of that? I, I thought it was awesome. I don't know that it was necessarily a piggyback. I think that, you know, Eddie Butler's starts have gone shorter, and Mike Montgomery is stretched out some. And when he's gotten in there, he's pitched so well and so efficiently that there was just no reason to pull him out of the game. That's a testament to how well Mike Montgomery has actually pitched this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason I think it's a, of it as a piggyback is because they do want to keep Montgomery stretched out because at some point uh, they've all, the Cubs have always said they want to use a six starter. They just don't know when. And now, in effect, uh, Eddie Butler sort of becomes the fourth starter. Mike Montgomery becomes the fifth starter. So he, he is already stretched out, as you said. But uh, he's gotten a couple of basically uh, Raleigh finger saves right now. Yeah, he's got two 10-out saves this season, which is actually pretty awesome. You know, that's a day off for the rest of the bullpen when he can come in in the fifth inning and he can carry it out to the end of the game, get 10 outs, pitch four innings like he did after Eddie Butler's last start. And it gives everybody else a day and in a lot of ways works the same way as a starter going and pitching a complete game would. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And so I don't know if you've read the book by Tango and MGL, but uh, they talk about piggybacking. Uh, the Rockies, who the Cubs are playing now, obviously tried a piggyback situation, but it didn't work out for them possibly because their pitchers never were uh, actually that good. But uh, when you have personnel that can be stretched out, that could get into the swingman role and do that, like – Maybe it's not such a bad idea to use that for your fifth fifth starter's position. Uh, No, I haven't actually read the book, but I remember a few years ago the Astros kind of experimented with it in their minor league system and thought about working it into their their major league rotation plans when they were in full metal tank mode. Unfortunately, the, the theory behind it is solid, but... You know, athletes of today are such creatures of habit, and 
and so routine driven that it's probably not a very feasible option to to actually try to play it out as a planned strategy. But having a pitcher like Mike Montgomery is actually a huge advantage for the Cubs because he allows them to do it when the opportunity kind of organically presents itself. Yeah. And I I, I don't know that uh, teams are eventually going to go into six-man rotations. They're trying to save arms. They're letting the pitchers. Like uh, I've read a couple of articles this week talking about, for example, uh, how relievers like Pedro Baez are deliberately taking more time between pitches so they can rest a little more and fire off pitches one or two miles an hour faster than they normally would if they went on, say, a 20-second rest like you're supposed to do by the book. Yeah, I don't know how much a pitcher waiting 14 to 16 seconds versus Pedro Baez waiting, you know, what feels like half an hour between pitches actually helps, you know, that extra few seconds and just the way progressive overload works and muscle fatigue and just the physiological effects of that. It's probably not giving him that much. It's definitely not giving him a mile or two an hour bump on his fastball, maybe 0.1 or 0.2 in terms of like pace of play and and the piggyback and trying to speed up the game and I don't think this is really a conversation that fits in that in that realm. Yeah, speaking of pace of play, like uh, I've read uh, Buster Posey, not Buster Posey, not the catcher because he doesn't write yet, but uh, Buster Only was saying that the pit players union is ready to use pace of play as a way to get something that they want in terms of the roster uh, adjustment. So there was something on the table earlier. They they wanted 26 men on the active roster and to limit September call-ups to a total of 28, and they weren't able to get that done in time. But uh, the idea is they're going to try to leverage what the commissioner wants, which is I I want pace of play rules, but the union wants the extra man. And then that'll allow them to keep a bench bat like Tommy LaStella on instead of optioning them to Iowa and letting him just kind of languish there while they play with a short bench. So I guess we could talk a little bit about what we believe uh, pace of play should, should be. Like for me, I don't like waiting 30 seconds for a pitcher to figure out what pitch he's delivering, especially when there are no men on base. And I think that's a lot uh, of what casual fans are are annoyed with and what the commissioner is trying to eliminate from the game. I think the multitude of pitching changes and you know guys waiting between pitches and it adds up, you know. The one thing that I think we're never going to do is see the pace of play jump down to where a baseball game fits neatly in a two-hour and 45-minute box. Part of that is MLB's own doing. Every time there's a there's a commercial break for, you know, between innings, pitching changes, you know, those things are organically stretched out or artificially stretched out to allow one more advertisement and, you know, millions and millions of more dollars into – into the baseball checkbook. So in some ways, MLB has nobody to blame but themselves. And it's something we see with every sport, even sports on a clock like football and basketball and hockey. They have have a lot of commercial breaks. So that's revenue for the sport. Yeah. They can can do some things to to limit, you know, how long the the game takes and just the pace of action where there's a – you, something consistently going on. I don't think we're ever going to see the day where a baseball game fits neatly in a two-hour and 45-minute window again. Okay, so you used a term earlier, uh, progressive fatigue, was it? Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so I was thinking, uh, this obviously isn't the case in high school ball where you play like a max of 20 games before you you even go to the playoffs. Uh, this is 162 games. It's 
a marathon. So these guys are working on injuries and wear and tear. I'm guessing that they appreciate having lulls in the action where they could just take a breather. And I, I don't know how much that counts or accounts for performance, uh, either performance increases or drops. But, you know, like I play softball every now and then, and it's tiring to just stand out there in the field. And you look at baseball players and you say, well, it doesn't look like they're doing anything. But, you know, it, it is kind of kind of one of those things that exhausts you because you're tense and you're you're on the your heels and you're trying to figure out where the ball is going to go once the batter swings. So I feel like uh, there should be some places for lulls in the action. Like you see that with soccer as well. You see that with basketball. You definitely see that with football. They need that time to reset and catch their breath. But at the same time, like I think there is a place for something like a pitch clock. Uh, the rule, I believe, it, I, I forgot if it was rule 8. It's probably 8.04. But they say you have to deliver a pitch within 20 seconds of receiving the ball from the catcher. And a lot of uh, pitchers aren't doing that. And the umpires obviously aren't enforcing it. So, you know, maybe there's something that needs to be concrete uh, to tell them you need to deliver that pitch like right now or I'm calling an automatic ball? Um, yeah, I don't know that I'm necessarily in favor of the the clock on top of the scoreboard, just, just as an aesthetic part of the game. The umpire is well within his rights to actually enforce the 20-second rule. The fact that they haven't been, you know, I think that's just another problem with human umpires, to be honest with you. Yeah, because they... Like, there there are certain rules that they're supposed to enforce, like on intentional balls, which are no longer, you know, an issue because they did the automatic intentional ball. They never used to call the catcher for a non-pitch because he's straddling the catcher's box instead of completely within it. So there are some rules that umpires simply don't care about or maybe they don't even know about them. I, I think in general the umpires know the rules, you know, like the intentional walk. You know, that's kind of a procedural thing where up until this year they actually had to throw four pitches, so it wasn't it wasn't an issue where the catcher was was leaving the box and he was going to interfere with the umpire's ability to do his job or the hitter's ability to hit. It was simply going out to catch the ball four times. You know, yeah. Baseball is a game that's been so long played on tradition and on, on the way things have always been and those unwritten rules that get talked about so much that in a lot of ways the umpires are kind of part of it and the way the game is officiated is part of it. Let's think, think about it this way, though. Uh, if the MLB MLB has to get revenue, is there how, how much revenue do you think they get from not running a commercial but saying this pitching change is sponsored by X and the pitcher is already warmed up? Uh, he's ready to go by the time he gets to the mound while they, they talk that stuff. Or they they don't have to run uh, the entire replay. They can run a quick 30-second spot while the umpires get the headsets and do all their things. So there there are different ways that they can manipulate the, uh, the revenue-grabbing you know, machinery. Uh, I think that most of the time is really in the batter-pitcher interaction, like the batter keeps stepping out of the box, right? Uh, the pitcher keeps, like, fidgeting and stepping off and, you know, throwing the ball back or what, whatever. And some of that, I, I think, is necessary because you can't legislate a time limit, especially when there is a man on base. You can't really... Uh, force uh, a hard cap because at some point part of pitching is to deceive the, the batter and part of batting is to just mess with the pitcher's timing because I, I can call time at will. The umpire is most likely going to grant it and now the pitcher is pissed off at me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another place where they can, they can help move the game along where, you know, the pitcher is, you know, starting his motion and then the batter calls time and steps out, they don't have to grant that. 
but like you said, more often than not, they do grant that. So the pitcher does something, it doesn't count, and you waste, you know, almost a minute of real time between between pitches of actual consequence. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see what they'll do. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of these have been experimental in the minor leagues, and that gives us a good segue into what's going to happen next week starting on Monday, which is the Major League Baseball Rule 4 Draft. So uh, the Cubs have two picks in the top 30. I think they have some, something like four of the first 105 picks, so they have like a lot more money to spend than they did last year when they lost the first and second picks after signing Jason Hayward and John Lackey. Yeah, uh, they have the 27th and 30th picks of the first round, and I believe it's the 67th pick in the second round, 67th overall. So, you know, they'll pick three times in the first night, where last year they had to wait until pretty good chunk of the way into the second night of the draft before they selected Thomas Hatch. So this will definitely be a place where the Cubs seek to bolster the depth of their farm system, especially with the upcoming trade deadline where that farm system will likely take a bit of a hit. Right. So I I think we could talk trades uh, closer to the trade deadline. Uh, I think, and most beat writers and analysts and whatnot think so as well, the Cubs need to draft pitching and you know, Stan on Twitter made a good point to me. He said that aside from the obvious successes in the first round, you see Chris Bryan, you see Albert Amora, you see, uh, you know, Javi, uh, Kyle Schwarber, and right now Ian Happ's kind of in, in a funk, but he, he's picking his spots and he's able to hit home runs still. Uh, they, they've been successful, but you don't hear too much about the guys who are picked like in the second round and later like i can name maybe robster sisney uh i'm still having trouble saying his name he, he was a second rounder uh you know pierce johnson was a sandwich rounder you know and thomas hatch is the third rounder but then after that like everybody seems to be organizational filler you don't see as much success stories out of the draft so like in a way, the Cubs drafts have been super top heavy, and you don't hear as much about the guys uh, further down in the draft. Well, that's kind of the way the MLB draft is anyway. Uh, I think a little more so than other drafts. The places you're going to get your real prospects are in the first round. And then, you know, in the Cubs case, like they have a Dylan Cease who they picked in the sixth round, but he was a first round talent who just happened to have an arm injury. You know, those are the places you get your prospects in the Major League Baseball draft. And the Cubs have chosen, and we can say now with the benefit of hindsight, they've chosen wisely to hitch their wagon to developed college hitters where the ceiling is is high and the floor is a little higher because they've done their research and found that those guys pan out more often than pitching. Now the Cubs have and will again this year gone deep and and dug far into the pitching in the draft and you know we've seen we've seen a few of the Epstein era pitchers trickle in Zastrzny last year Pierce Johnson finally made a debut this year you know before a while it looked like Dwayne Underwood was the best pitching prospect in the organization and, and like he was ascending and obviously his development took a little bit of a hiccup I would fully expect that this year the Cubs invest heavily in pitching again, and with those first-round picks, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if they took a college-type pitcher in the first round for the first time, although I would be very surprised if they took two. Right. So I I think the expectation is that at least one of those, uh, either number 27 or number 30 pick, is going to a pitcher. I'm reading uh, John Arguello's uh, preview on Cubs Den, uh, and he 
is basically curating uh, what the other experts are saying. So, for example, Baseball America saying that number 27, they're going to pick Nick Allen. Number 30 is Sam Carlson. Keith Law on ESPN saying number 27 is a Luis Gonzalez, not the Diamondback. And number 30 is Nate Pearson. So uh, have you heard of these guys? Um, yeah, I haven't dug too far into the into the draft this year. Um, some other guys that I've actually heard about the Cubs possibly being in on other than those guys are like Keston Hyura. He's at UC Irvine. He's a outfielder, second baseman, you know, a nice hit tool, decent power, decent run, maybe a little, little iffy in the field where he's probably going to be in the outfield. Um, one thing about him is that he may need Tommy John surgery down the line that would slow his development. Otherwise, you know, the names that you mentioned, the Nick Allens, uh, Nate Pearsons, those are those are all kinds of the same general names that I've heard associated with the Cubs. Right. And a lot of these names seem to be high school players, uh, not not so much college it sounds like they're willing to make a little more of a reach, especially with uh, the, you know, picking so late in each round. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a new reality that the, the Cubs are in where, you know, they're going to be picking at the back of the first round. So some of the players that they're going to, they're going to be taking are going to be a little more of a project than some of the guys that, that we've seen come up. You know, Elmora, Bryant, Schwarber, and Ian Happ were all top ten picks. You know, it's not necessarily difficult to find somebody there that projects positively. Maybe a little more difficult to find that at the back of the first round, but it can be done. And this is a front office that while they haven't done it with the Cubs, they are actually very accustomed to selecting at the back of first rounds. Yeah. Uh, I think that was back in the day, though, when you could actually pay, uh, you know, a number 28 pick a lot more money than he was worth based on these suggested slots. Now everybody's, like, hard-slotted in, and they have to be very careful with the budgets. Uh, the CBA didn't change that part too much. So I, I think they'll be a little more limited with what they can do uh, as opposed to when Theo and Jed Hoyer were working with the Red Sox and they could bag, you know, uh, supplemental picks with type B free agents and all that, they, they can't do that anymore. So I think the money is going to be a little more tight this time around, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, if you get, if you select a college senior, for example, in the first round, you can squeeze him on his bonus a little bit because, you know, he can't go back to school like a high school player or a college junior necessarily could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys that get picked in the first round, their bonuses, they're going to be life-changing money. You know, even if it's at the back of the first round, you, you would expect most of those guys to pick. The Cubs have actually been really, really good about the way they've strategically picked and allowed themselves to spend more in the the deeper portion of the top ten rounds where the bonus pool comes into play. You know, like the 2014 draft is a great example of that, where they, you know, they picked Schwarber, and they picked like I think Jake Stinnett was the second round pick that year, mm-hmm. and they end up going and being able to get, you know, Justin Seal, uh, Carson Sands, and Dylan Cease in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, getting three higher upside arms that they had to pay a lot more for, but were able to do so because they selected Kyle Schwarber and got him on a nice under slot signing bonus right i do remember that and i thought that was one of the better drafts despite the fact that most people were like freaking out about kyle schwarber at the time um let's think think about this way uh the draft ends on wednesday we can talk more uh, about that uh after the fact so are you okay to come back and do a post-mortem draft with me next week yeah, I actually believe the second day of the draft is on Friday, though. Draft coverage is on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 5 p.m. Central, because the Central Time Zone is what 
we care about. Tuesday is day two. Wednesday is day three. Okay, so it is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Where did, oh, that's wrong. Where, where did you hear about Friday? That was because uh, <laughs> they usually do it three straight days, so that that's yeah, why I was confused. I thought, I thought it was weird. I, I think I came across that on Twitter this afternoon, and you know everything you read on Twitter is always right, so I just went with it. Yeah, I gotta gotta find that blue check mark. Okay, well. I guess uh, we'll sign off and see if the Cubs can pull this win off. If not, they're still good, and they still won the World Series last year, so uh, I'm cool. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a little early to panic, for oh, sure. Oh, definitely. We just got we just got uh, barely got into June, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Giants had the best record at the All Star break last year in baseball, and they barely won the second wild card. We're a legitimately bad team from the All-Star break until pretty much as we sit here today. So there's a lot of baseball left to be played. Okay. Well, I wanted to thank you for hanging out with me tonight. Uh, you can find Andy at his Twitter. I'm at, at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. Okay. And we always write, well, much more than usual uh, come next Thursday because of the fact that uh, school's out for summer. So we'll be doing a lot more uh, with the draft, with trade deadline coming up, with the All-Star break and whatnot. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Through the good times and the bad times We stood beside you every day So next week after the draft, Andy and I will get back together and we'll talk a little bit about what who the Cubs selected. Hopefully someone awesome or, you know, they're picking 27th, 30th, so it's not as if they'll be, you know, super crazy elite, but they are still first-round picks and those are usually the more talented ones. Speaking of first-round picks, uh, Addison Russell, man. Yeah, I'd say the Cubs' struggles are kind of secondary right now to what's going on in this poor kid's life. But this is something we've got to kind of tread carefully on. Yeah. And I think uh, we talked a little bit about this. Like, I shared the blog that I wrote when the Cubs traded for Aroldis Chapman. He of the alleged uh, domestic violence situation. And... No, you never want to see that happen with players that you root for. But at the same time, we don't know these guys. Like, you know, I rooted for Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds all the time. Like, they would never invite me to a barbecue, and I probably wouldn't want them as my friend. But, you know, they were very good at baseball, and that's basically the extent of what we know about them. But uh, now we have this infidelity thing, which you know, on the surface is already bad and couple that with uh, allegations of domestic violence and you got yourself a little bit of pickle there, Mr. Russell. Yeah, I mean, there have been allegations about Russell's infidelity for a while. Rumors or suggestions, people who are supposedly in the know have kind of said he's kind of gets around. I mean... None of this is confirmed, as far as I know. I don't know him personally. I don't know what he does when he leaves the ballpark. But it's been said he likes hanging out with various people. And these women are not his wife. But again, I don't know anything to be 100% actual or factual. Just what's being said. And this... Story kind of broke overnight, I believe, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I think. Yeah, it actually broke in the middle of the game when the Cubs were, you know, trying to struggle and hopefully, you know, defeat the Miami Marlins. They could ultimately couldn't pull off the sweep, and obviously they've been struggling the past couple of days without Russell as available as he should be. Uh 
But yeah, it was in the middle of the game, and then uh, you saw Ben Zobrist at short, and you were just like, well, you know, crazy, crazy Uncle Joe Madden is uh, doing his thing again, and then you realize, oh, that's probably why he was unavailable to play short. And things kind of blew up overnight, even though the story kind of broke in the middle of the game. Apparently, his wife posted a picture on Instagram with something which was alluding to his cheating and infidelity, which and giving the impression that she was leaving him. It's I think it's been kind of established that they already don't live together. He lives here in Chicago, I think. I've read or heard she still lives in Miami, so they're kind of separated as it is. Yeah. But she said what she said, making allegations of cheating and not being trusted. And that's when shit kind of hit the fan. Yeah, because she, uh, Melissa, uh, Addison Russell's wife, wasn't the one to make the allegation, as far as oh, I know. Let's, let's build up to that. Uh, right, because uh, I, I try to follow this, and I'm just like, wait, wait, I, I don't know all the facts, and I'm trying to figure this out from, like, 10,000 different tweets and you only get 140 characters at a time so with Twitter like you get knee-jerk reactions and you get knee-jerk uh, responses with those 140 characters and yes and you followed this a little better than I did because I was in the middle of preparing with my students for finals so I didn't get to see as much uh, as I you know guess needed to not that I wanted to but in order to be informed, especially since, you know, this is a team that we root for and whatnot, I, I like to get as much information. And that's why I didn't post too much in that thread. I just let you handle it. But uh, you you probably know who dropped the allegation, right? After she posted, his wife posted the allegations of cheating, infidelity, broken trust, our less than desirable portion of our fan base, let's just call them what they are, assholes every fan base has them but a good portion of our fan base not a good portion but a small portion we're going after her his wife for making the allegations of cheating and leaving him public hmm. they're going after her attacking her and just saying really mean hurtful rude things now, I, I'm not, it's not for me to say whether she should or should not have made it public, but it'll, it would have come out one way or the other. Maybe mm. the way she did it might have been tactless or whatever you want to call it. But the response of the Cub fans that were going after her, that's just uncalled for. Mm. Now, in defense of Mrs. Russell, who's what's being described as one of her best friends, made the accusations of Addison Russell not only mentally abusing her, but also physically abusing her in front of their ch very young children. Oh, wow. Yes. And looking through the timelines, this person that made the allegations is in a bunch of pictures with them, apparently. Uh. And so you know that this is a legitimate friend of theirs, that probably knows more than any of us will ever know about what's going on or not. Right, and uh, it sounds like afterwards she probably got attacked as well and had to delete her Instagram. She deleted the post. She deleted her Instagram account because Cub fans are going after her as well. Now, this is all just third, a third story. It's a third person. Mrs. Russell has yet to verify or deny, at least publicly, if these accusations are true or not. So we still do not have any idea, and probably never will, no matter what comes out of this case, what actually did or did not happen. Because unfortunately, in today's day and age, stories can disappear for one reason or another. Yeah, Russell was, wasn't suspended. He was given a day to clear his head, basically told to leave the team, don't show up to work, and the Cubs played their first game against the Rockies a man short with a 24-man roster. 
Mm -hmm. He did return on Friday. He said he was available, but he didn't enter the game at all. Yeah, so he, he was there, but he didn't play. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. He was in the dugout. He was in the locker room, but he never made an appearance. He might show up tomorrow in the starting lineup. I'm not entirely sure, but the Cubs are handling this very, very carefully. Yeah, they're, they're waiting for everything to come out before they make any judgments themselves. Yeah, and right now it's completely in MLB's hands. Because they're doing the investigation right now, just like they do. Uh, I think of all the sports league, this is probably the league that takes it the most seriously. And a lot of players, like, you know, you look at Jose Reyes at Roldis Chapman, they're getting, like, 50, 30 game suspensions. Uh, you know, Jerris Familia, he wasn't charged or anything, but he still got a 15-game suspension. So it's kind of interesting to see how this pans out. Like, MLB, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, can pretty much levy any punishment he sees fit without even a conviction. He can just say, I have investigated this, you did bad things, even though you weren't charged, uh, I can suspend you. X amount of games. Yes. And it's a, I mean, domestic violence is a major issue. Not just with sports, but all over the world, unfortunately. But it's nice to see, at least in the sporting world, people taking this as seriously as they are. Right. Like many, many Cub fans, I hope this isn't true. I hope that her friend was just talking out of her ass and just trying to take some heat off of Mrs. Russell. But I don't know. I'm not even going to hazard a guess. I'm not going to say she's lying. I'm not going to say Russell's guilty. I'm just going to sit back and wait and basically just accept whatever, whatever comes out as truth, even though it may not be. There's nothing much we can really do except yeah. for just sit back and wait. Yeah, so you you probably you're much more of a Blackhawks fan than I I am. I do like hockey, but uh, I don't follow the Blackhawks as much as you do. But this similar thing happened when Patrick Kane was accused of sexual assault. Like a lot of fans uh, came to his aid, I guess, or came to support him and said, "Hey, you know what he." You know, uh, the accuser is a gold digger. Uh, he didn't do anything. You know, he has witnesses or whatever. And it, it was like a complete shit show, basically. Just, you know, fans sniping back and forth. And you can't fault, uh, especially female fans, because a lot of the time, a lot of women don't step up when they're uh, assaulted, uh, whether physically or sexually. And and so you kind of understand why uh, a lot of the women are up in arms about this. They want the truth out, and they're kind of mad at Addison Russell. At the same time, we don't know exactly what's going on, so there there needs to be like a little bit of of leeway, I guess. Here, uh, let's just see what happens because right now we're getting you know basically an Instagram story and a lot of no comment. Yeah, and I wrote about this earlier. One of the things that really pisses me off about when stuff like this comes out, people always are quick to rush to judgment. You have a portion of the fan base saying, oh, she's just a gold digger. She's making shit up, trying to ruin this guy's life, ruin his career. Or, oh, this guy's such a nice guy. There's no way he could possibly have done it. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know anything about these guys other than what we see on the TV. We don't know anything more than what they want us to know. I mean, Chris Bryant was interviewed on The Score in his weekly, bi-weekly segment saying, I don't want to know what goes on in my, in my players and my teammates' lives off the field. Rizzo, when he was questioning about it, even said, I don't know what he does off the field. I only know what he's like as a teammate. Even his own teammates don't really know who or what he really is mm. off the field. So how the hell are we supposed to know? And the way people automatically and instantly jump up to defend players that they don't know from anything, mm. it's just insane. They defend them like they're their best friends, like they know them inside and out. 
but they don't know a damn thing about anybody. These players, athletes, baseball players, basketball, football, we only know what they want us to know. I made a point on another page talking to some friends. You could have a golden child who looks too good to be true. Fantastic player. Very charitable. Does a lot of community service to help people out. That's what we see. That's what we know. We have no idea what he does when the media is not watching. He could be a grade A scumbag, but we just don't see it. Right. I, I do don't agree. Know yeah. who these guys really are. Go back a decade or so ago in the NFL. A guy that was literally just presented, I think, the word for humanitarian of the year in the NFL. I forget, I forget what his name was. He played, played with the Atlanta Falcons. Mm. It might have been the Walter Payton award that he got. The day after he got that award, he was busted for going out with a prostitute. Oh, wow. And, oh, yeah. Well, well I, I guess, know you know. People are yeah. until they're caught. I and guess, unfortunately yeah. Unfortunately for Russell, he may have gotten caught or outed for something. We're not saying he is, he did. We're not saying he's guilty. We're not saying he's innocent. But something Russell might have hidden from everybody might have just been exposed. Right. Truth is, we don't know. Right. And uh, a lot of people are, I guess she's not uh, Mrs. Russell anymore, so I'll just call her Melissa. I believe that's her name. Um, I think she technically still is Mrs. Russell. I don't think they're officially divorced yet uh or whatever, but I think at the moment technically she still is, but... Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Just basically, I, I feel like a lot of people aren't giving her side enough uh, support. Like, you and that's see. The yeah, every, yeah. Week, every time something this, like this happens, people always automatically assume the, vi- the person that's the alleged victim is making stuff up to get a payday. One of the funny things about that at the moment. Russell doesn't really make that much money. Right. I mean, yeah, he makes a lot of money compared to you and me and probably most Cub fans everywhere, but I don't even think he's cracked the million-dollar mark yet, has he? No, he got a raise after the World Series win, obviously, because the Cubs want to do right by their uh, superstars, even though they're pre-arbitration. They don't have any obligation to, but... They're still making less than a million dollars. Only Chris Bryant is making over a million. But at the same time, like... He has potential to make a lot of money. Yeah. And at the moment, he's pretty much a very low-paid ball player. Right. He's vastly underpaid for what he brings. And, you know, struggles aside, he can be very valuable, and he will eventually make a lot of money. So I don't think she's out to destroy a career. It's just, oh, no, you, you, yeah, you see a lot of stories, right? You know, like a woman gets cheated on, and so she torches the man's TV or, you know, keys the car or takes the tires or sells uh, all his stuff on eBay for a penny. And most you of us... see them trying to ruin their career. No, their no. Life. Right, you, you just... This guy deserves it. You, you shouldn't cheat on your wife, like... I I wouldn't because my wife is very resourceful and she killed me right so <laughs> yes so yes she uh, is not one to mess with yeah so it, it's like well even if she weren't gonna kill me like I wouldn't do it because it, it's me like I feel like I'm a person of integrity and I don't want to do that because I can't live with the guilt of it but uh, you know to to each their own like you live your own life the way you see fit and be prepared to be judged the way you know you live your life but yeah it is their private stuff but at the same time melissa has every right to air the, their dirty laundry it's you know her social media page you don't have to follow her yeah she has a right to say whatever the hell she pleases if she wants to call russell every name in the book on her personal page she is free to do so first amendment rights and all right yeah but the internet is forever but i think that what people more have a problem with was her friend jumping in 
Yeah. And it wasn't really her place to air such grievances and accusations. Now, if Melissa were to make those accusations herself, this would be a completely different story. Right. I would feel be, I... Be a lot more credence, possibly, a lot more credibility. Although some other people have said the reason that somebody, a friend, is outing him for it brings it more credibility. But I'm not even sure. I'm not sure that's that's right. Well, uh, let me let me tell you my opinion. I feel like if he's actually beating her, like you know, D- Jose Reyes style uh, domestic violence, right? Then she doesn't post it on Instagram. She calls the cops. And this becomes an, a, a, an actual official investigation, not just MLB doing it. So I agree with you and some of the fans. Like, that friend shouldn't have had the right to air that part of the story. I feel like Melissa would have done that herself if it was that serious. Now, maybe – um, yeah, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of women who are abused don't report it. Uh, for one reason or another. Yeah, and that's where it gets tricky. That's where it gets really tricky. Like, we keep saying this. We don't know what's going on. And we probably never will. Yeah, and so... Because whatever truth comes out, it could be a cover-up. Russell, not saying he is. Please do not accuse me of saying this, all you dozen listeners or two. He might have paid off whoever he had to pay off to make the story disappear and change their stories. But at the end of the day, if he is found guilty, you're going to have a large portion of people saying, oh, that's bullshit, he didn't do anything, even if the facts are spitting them right in the face. Right, because I think uh, a lot of people just have simply made up their minds already. People make up their minds as soon as the first word is uttered, and that's the problem. And if he's cleared of all these charges... And that's like a double, twofold slap in the face for everybody. Right. If he is legitimately innocent, and I hope to God he is, for the sake of not only his wife, but the children involved, if he is truly innocent, this harms all the other legitimate cases where you have athletes smacking around or beating up their wives, girlfriends, various people they meet. And that's going to stop those people from coming forward because they don't think they're going to stand, stand a chance in hell of looking like a legitimate person when you have all these other fake reports that come out. Yeah, so I, I feel like if that's the case where MLB has to interview Russell, his teammates, uh, the organization, his wife, and the wife's family, Russell's family, etc., then – you know, they'll get the facts and we'll eventually figure out what, what their uh, findings are. But, you know, we... It, it's and how factual will those facts actually be? Yeah, like, the way I'm, I'm thinking about it is, like, there's no good way to say it. We, Radisson Russell, right, he definitely cheated on his wife at this point uh, because otherwise I don't think she says anything. Like, there's no way they jeopardize a public image or their career with that. At the same time, he's still kind of a scumbag because he did cheat on his wife. If he also beat his wife, now he's a different level of scumbag, and that's when I would fully support uh, whatever punishment he receives. Uh, we hope it doesn't come to that. We hope he's just the first kind of scumbag and not the really, really terrible kind of scumbag. And that, Can that, I just interject something real quick? Yeah. If he is beating her, and I, again, I hope to God he's not. Can you please keep people from saying, well, maybe she deserved it. Maybe she was getting mouthy. No, that's, never, that's never a good time. never a reason to hit a woman. Or anybody. Don't give, yeah. don't give me the fact that, what if she was hitting me? What if she was assaulting me? I've got to defend myself. There is never a good reason to hit a woman. Hmm. And we heard a lot of that crap with Ray Rice when there was actual video evidence of him decking his wife, dragging her out of the elevator. You had these assholes saying, well, we don't know what happened beforehand. Some women just deserve it. No, 
women do not deserve to be hit. I don't care what they say, what they do. I don't care if you think they're being mouthy. There is no reason to ever hit a woman. Got a problem with that? Email me, worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Come at me. I don't give a shit. All right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just to be fair, there are instances of women abusing men as well and oh, the absolutely. men coming over. But uh, for the most part, like, you just – there are different ways to resolve your conflicts, and I – I don't condone, you know, ever hitting anybody to resolve a conflict. It's just a really, it's not civilized. No, there's always ways to resolve conflicts without fighting. The beauty and the history in this cathedral. The sky so blue against the grass so green. Like time stood still forever. Well, that was fun, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's it's going to be a while before they they release anything. It took several weeks for MLB to figure out what to do with Jose Reyes. Same with Aroldis Chapman. Same with Juris Familia. And at this point, they have another active uh, domestic violence situation with Derek Norris. And this time, like... They are actually interviewing Derek Norris's wife because she has accused him of physically assaulting her. So, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, MLB currently has to deal with. And it's unfortunate that this stuff happens. But, you know, with 7.5 billion people on the planet, some like, you know, at least one percent of them are going to be buttholes about this. And. It's just yeah. unfortunate that we have to deal with it and hear about this, and it's also unfortunate for the people who are victims of it. So we you don't think one percent of seven and a half billion is a lot. It's seventy-five million people. Right. <laughs> there are a lot of Tell assholes on the planet. Seventy-five million people is not a lot. Yeah, I, I might have like embellished that a little bit, but you know, I like one percent is a is a safe number. Yeah, there, there's a lot of assholes in the planet. Even 1% of 1% <laughs> is 750,000. Yeah, that's a lot. It's still a lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, you do feel bad for the family, the little kids who don't know what's going on and may have to deal with a separation or divorce of their parents. And just, you know, this young man's image is shattered forever, possibly deservedly, but, you know, maybe, maybe there, there is more to the story. And we, you know, no matter how many tweets there are, like it's still 140 characters, we are, we are completely out of context here. Social media has really kind of screwed people's lives up. It keeps us much better informed, but. It has ruined a lot of people's lives. Having a computer in your hand, a camera that you bring with you everywhere, that you can automatically upload stuff on the, on, on the internet, which is forever. Even if you delete it a second after you post it, somebody's going to get a screenshot of it, and it's there for life. Right. Social media and the internet has kind of screwed people up for life, man. Well, like, you know, ask, uh, ask the president... But uh, let's not get political, sir. Let's not <laughs> yes, get political. No, political, no politics. It, it was a lot of fun, though, like uh, especially that night of Kofifi. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that was hilarious. Spin it off as, oh, no, it's a secret code to my inside cabinet. Right. Uh, I, I honestly feel like uh, either someone snatched a phone out of his hand before he could complete the tweet or he just fell asleep and – and accidentally hit send because <laughs> that sometimes happens to me. Like I fall asleep and then, you know, suddenly, Oh, uh, the Have phone fall asleep in the middle of sending a tweet or a text. Uh, no, I fallen asleep while reading something and then the phone slips out of my hand and hits me in the face. That kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've all been there, but yeah, yeah. That's not to, different. not to make too light of a topic, but uh, honestly, I, I think to close this off, we hope that, uh, for the best for Addison Russell and his family. And, you know, obviously if he did it, then throw the book at him. If he didn't, uh, you know, hopefully they can resolve this in a manner that isn't too crazy like we've experienced over the past 36 hours.
Oh, yeah. And the Cubs who probably have a better idea than most of us what's going on. And I'm talking the management, not the not his teammates. Because mm-hmm. they sent him away for a day, which was probably more for their benefit than his. It was also for his benefit, so he could just get away from everything and clear his head without having the circus around the team itself, which was still kind of chaotic without him being there because everyone was being asked about it. Yeah. The fact that they welcomed him back completely the next day kind of shows that they might be more on his side than they can legally say at this present moment. Because if they thought there was anything serious to this, well, domestic violence is a serious topic, but if they thought he was severely guilty of this, they probably would have put him on the administrative leave list, which goes up to seven days, and they would have replaced him on the roster for that week. But they welcomed him back like the very next day. So my guess is, and it's just a guess, they 100% support and believe him that there's nothing to this. But again, it's just a guess. Yeah, he's still a cheating-ass bastard. All right, getting back to slightly... Uh baseball-y things, uh, I might have a guest next week, or perhaps a week after. Uh, I asked him if he likes bobbleheads, and he said yes. And then I asked him if even Cubs bobbleheads, and he said, oh yeah, sure. So I need from you, sir, a list of your bobbleheads after you uh, move, or if you've packed them away already, if you kind of remember what what they are, you can let me uh, see, and then I can forward the list to him and see if he's interested. Oh, I could write, I could name off the ones I'm giving away right now if you want. Oh, you you actually uh, have some giveaways? Oh yeah, these are the ones that I'm not keeping because they're ex Cubs and <laughs> yeah. So I've got a Ramos Ramirez. Cool. I got I got Derek Lee. Wow. I got Alfonso Soriano. Cool. Tyler Colvin. <laughs> I have one of those two. Kosuke Fukudome. Wow. Starlin Castro. Oh, that that might be valuable. Giovanni Soto. Oh, you should give one of those to Maria. She probably, probably. has one. She probably has a bunch of those already. I got Sweet Lou Pinella. <laughs> I have a Carlos Zambrano. Oh, wow. And I have a Michael Barrett, which is kind of inflamed. Huh. I also have ready for this, a Darwin Barney without his arm. Whoa. Uh, must his have gold uh, glove arm kind of fell off. That's too bad. <laughs> the Cubs apparently sold one, uh, gave away defective ones. Because apparently a lot of people had a broken glove arm Darwin Barney bobblehead when they gave him away. Well, I'll pass on that idea. Like maybe uh, you, you said you were moving... Uh, thir- next week. Yeah, Thursday night, so I'll come by after I'm done with my things. And uh, there's parking around your, your place, right? So I don't have to, like, walk. Yeah, in the new place, you must park in the blue spots. Blue wait, wait, wait. Are we, are we moving you into somewhere or out of somewhere? Both. Okay, so I guess uh, I'll... Well, part, I'm going to have most of my boxes in my car that I'm... Moving in to an apartment. Okay, so on Thursday night, am I helping you move in or out? Probably in. Okay, uh, uh, that'll work. As long as there's a parking spot, because there's no way I am uh, using public transportation out to the burbs. No, no, there's public parking. Okay. Except when you get to the apartment complex, just park in the blue spot. Blue yeah. is for guests. Maybe I'll take some of those bobbleheads off your hands then, eh? Hey, feel free. Let me know which one you want. I'll make sure I have it. All right. Uh, let me ask him what he wants. But yeah, uh, you'll have to let me know later who this mysterious guest is. Oh, just check my timeline. You'll see. But uh, you know, I, I haven't confirmed it yet. But uh, it's it's kind of nice that people on baseball Twitter and Cubs Twitter are so receptive. Like we've gotten, uh, you know, the Binsky to pinch hit. Uh, we've gotten, you know, a couple of of cool guests to just hang out like Crawley was on, you know, Rich who gave us our song is on. Uh, I should ask Randall 
you know, one day to just come on so that we could talk about what we're going to mash up next in our Cubs story in pictures. But, yeah, yeah, it's really flattering and fun to have people actually listen to our podcast and also want to appear on our podcast. So we really thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, of course, thank you for setting up World Series Dreaming. You can find us on WorldSeriesDreaming.com. And you can find me at on Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. Find us on, on the interwebs at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. Email us questions, comments, hot takes. Call us biased bastards for not automatically defending um, Addison Russell at WorldSeriesDreaming at gmail.com. Yeah. Just you sh- tell us we suck. You, you definitely care. need to. Like, you know, today and with the MLB draft and the trade deadline coming up, we kind of hope that you do uh, – Give us some emails. Like, we love the interaction. We love the fact that, you know, people follow us on Twitter. Like, I don't actually know how many followers I have right now. I think you have, like, over 4,000. But, you know, there's plenty of people who interact with us, and we'd like to see, you know, more direct interaction. Just do please drop us a line and, you know, keep commenting with us on Twitter and also on Facebook. Like, the Facebook book community is pretty hopping, and uh, Twitter is usually more instantaneous. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's plenty of ways to interact with us, and we'll put all that information on the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out tonight, man. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah, uh, I, I need to soak my knees with, you know, Epsom salts because I am an old But, uh, yeah, it was fun, and uh, we'll see you next time on the World Series Dreaming Dreamcast. Bye. It was more than just a game.